Standing on the lawn in front of the low adobe wall that bordered the tarmac, she watched the plane's door close, watched the motorized ramp move back. Should she wave? She always felt faintly foolish, waving at faces she could never recognize behind the airplane's small windows. So she simply stood in the bright June sunshine as the 737's engines started, rose to an ear-piercing whine as the airplane began to move slowly across the tarmac. Automatically, she glanced at her watch. Ten minutes until three, exactly the scheduled departure time. In half an hour, she would be home, the home of her childhood. She'd been six years old when Constance was born old enough to realize that the tiny baby lying beside her mother in the hospital bed had come from inside her mother's body. She'd been sixteen that Sunday afternoon when the sheriff's car had pulled into their circular driveway. She'd been in her room upstairs, watching tennis on TV. She'd heard the car's engine and gone to the window and looked down. When she'd seen the light bar on the car's roof and the number, She'd experienced a momentary titillation, the involuntary response to the presence of the police, but the next moment she'd experienced the first small, sharp stab of fear. Had something happened to her parents? To Connie? As she'd watched, the car's rear door had swung open and Connie had emerged. It was all right then. It would be all right. But then she realized that Connie was wrapped in a blanket. And in that moment, she'd known her parents were dead. Connie was alive, but their parents were dead. The 737 was at the far end of the airport. Soon, she knew, the airplane would turn onto the runway. Moments later, it would begin its takeoff roll, blasting into the bright blue sky bound for San Francisco. Dennis and John had arrived yesterday on the 10 o'clock United flight from San Francisco. She'd debated hiring a car and driver to take the three of them from the airport to her home. But unless the car was a limo, the driver would have been party to their bereavement, and a limo would have been too ostentatious. So she'd picked them up in her bright red Toyota Celica, the best car she'd ever owned. From the very first, as she and Dennis exchanged their ritual phrases of hushed condolence that instantly lost all meaning, She'd been aware of the underlying tension that inexplicably centered on John. Whenever she sought to draw John aside, even for a moment, Dennis intervened. At first, she thought her brother-in-law was being overly protective, compensating, belatedly playing the role of father. But when she'd drawn Dennis aside and suggested that perhaps John should stay at home with her rather than attend the funeral, Dennis's reaction had been almost hostile. Of course John will go to the funeral, he'd said, loud enough for John to hear. That's why he's here. And last night, after the funeral, while John was preparing for bed, Dennis had been careful not to give her a chance to talk with John alone, even for a moment. Why? Was Dennis afraid? Of what? What could John tell her that Dennis was so determined she should not hear? As she watched the 737 begin to move, gathering momentum as it hurtled down the runway, she was aware that, whatever the cost, these were questions that must be answered.